In the lesson this morning, we talked about the importance and the necessity of baptism. Uh, it's a, certainly a, I think, a clearly, a clearly taught Bible doctrine, but of course it continues to be a hotly debated subject. And, and many refuse to accept what is taught in the scriptures about baptism. But we know, we know some very simple truths about baptism. For instance, we know that baptism is for the remission of sins. Acts chapter 2 verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Baptism is for the remission of sins. We know that baptism results in newness of life. In the scripture reading that Gage read for us just a few moments ago, from Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, it says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Baptism results in newness of life. Baptism puts one into Christ in Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and 27. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Baptism puts us into Christ. Baptism saves us. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21 says, The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Notice, baptism doth also now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We know these things, and we could probably expand that list considerably because the Scriptures teach so plainly about the importance and necessity of baptism. Unfortunately, though, people still continue to deny that necessity. And if we were to talk with many of our religious friends right in this immediate community, we would find some pretty significant arguments that people would offer against baptism, which is pretty surprising, really, when you think about how plainly and clearly it is taught. It's amazing that people would still argue against it. Tonight, what we want to do for a few minutes is look at a favorite proof text of those who would argue against baptism. That proof text is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning verse 14. It says, I thank God that I was, that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in my own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Notice here, there is an expression made, Christ sent me not to baptize. And some would latch on to that and use this as an argument against the necessity of baptism. And so for, for a few short minutes this evening, what I'd like to do is to look at that text, analyze it, see if the argument being made is legitimate. We've already looked at a number of plain passages that teach the necessity of baptism. Would this be one that would contradict that? Would this be a passage that you could use to teach that baptism is not necessary? That's what we want to do in our study tonight. We'll just be brief about that. Thanks for being here tonight. We appreciate very much your diligence to come and join in this period of Bible study and worship. Uh, Thanks for being here. Thanks to our visitors for coming. Please come again whenever you can. We always look forward to these times together and the encouragement that we get from them. Thank you all for being here tonight. How would we answer this text uh, that that says where Paul said, 
that he was not sent to baptize? How would we answer? Uh, that's what we want to be prepared to do. That phrase, Christ sent me not to baptize, in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 17. Well, to answer this argument, I think the first thing that we want to do is get all of our facts together. What are the known facts of the matter? First of all, we certainly do know that Christ sent Paul to preach the gospel. Uh, that was the primary mission that he was sent out on. In fact, specifically, he was sent to be an apostle to the Gentiles. We know the gospel now was to go to the Gentile world, not just the Jewish world. And, and Paul was especially commissioned as an apostle to the Gentiles. He said, in, it says in Acts chapter 13, beginning verse 2, this is the very outset of what we refer to as the first missionary journey. And at the very outset of that, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work, for the work whereunto I have called them. Being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, they preached the word of God. And so this was their special mission. This was their special purpose to preach the gospel, Barnabas and Paul. Paul is the one we're concentrating on in our study tonight. Now, we know that as Paul went about preaching, part of what he preached as he preached the gospel of Christ was to preach about baptism. For instance, uh, when he would write to the church at Ephesus, he mentioned the importance of baptism. One of our memory verses is Ephesians chapter 4, beginning verse 4. There's one body and one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Later in the same epistle, he would talk in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26, about the washing of water by the word. And so, certainly Paul was preaching. His mission was to preach the gospel. He had a special emphasis on taking that message to the Gentiles. But we know that part of what he preached was baptism. Uh, that was not excluded from his message. And furthermore, we know that not only did Paul preach about baptism. Now, what, what we're, remember, what we're doing here is we're trying to get all of our facts together so we can answer this argument. We know that not only did Paul preach and preach baptism, but we know that he, in fact, did baptize people. In fact, we know that he baptized people even at Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, now go back to that text. Notice what Paul said. I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius. Oh, wait a minute. Well, if he, if he baptized Crispus and Gaius, then that means that he did, in fact, baptize, right? And then he says, uh, lest any should say I baptized in my own name, and I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Oh, wait a minute. Paul's not baptizing well, he baptized Crispus and Gaius. He baptized the household of Stephanus. In fact, he went on to say, besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. And Paul said there may have been others. I, I don't really remember. Uh, uh, you know, there have, there have been times when I knew of preachers who would keep lists of people, people's names that they baptized, uh, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing, uh, depending on what the motivation for that is. But Paul was not one who even kept a record of people that he baptized. He, he just didn't see that as important as to whom he had personally baptized. He said, I did baptize some. I baptized Crispus Gaius. I baptized the household of Stephanus. But I'm not even sure. There may have been others that I baptized. And so Paul did baptize people. Even there at Corinth, he baptized people. And we know that also there in Corinth, there were lots of people baptized because of what Paul preached. Go back to Acts chapter 18 at verse 8. 
says Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And notice, many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. So how could anybody argue that Paul's message de-emphasized baptism? He, he taught the gospel. He preached baptism. He baptized people himself. In fact, as a result, right there in Corinth. Now, that's who this message that we're studying tonight, that's this proof text, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 17. This message was to that church in Corinth, and we know that he had preached baptism so forcefully in Corinth that many Corinthians, believing what they had heard, were baptized uh, into Christ. Now, those are some facts we know for sure leading up to dealing with this argument that is made. Again, here's our argument. Some of those who oppose baptism want to use 1 Corinthians 1.17 to say, where Paul said, Christ sent me not to baptize, to say, baptism is not essential. You don't have to be baptized. That's, that's the conclusion they would like to reach. But it doesn't really fit very well with the facts that we've already discussed, does it? It doesn't fit very well when we know that Paul preached, in preaching the gospel, preached baptism, and that he did in fact preach, uh, or not only preach, but also he in fact baptized people there, and lots of people in Corinth were baptized as a result of his preaching. What we know is, and this is another one of the facts to add to our answer, Paul was glad that he had personally baptized only a few because of certain specific problems that existed there at Corinth. Now, I think most of us are well familiar with this, but in, in explaining this text to others, we'll have to be ready to, to show them that there was a problem in Corinth, this divisive spirit that existed in Corinth, in which people were expressing personal allegiance to specific preachers and teachers. And Paul talked about that here in this same context. Now, again, this is all in the immediate context of that statement. But notice in 1 Corinthians 1, beginning at verse 11, it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I have Apollos, and I have Cephas, and I have Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? In the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you, with the exceptions that the next verse goes on to express that he, he did baptize. Notice, Paul was thankful that he had not done a lot of baptizing personally because that would have only exacerbated the situation that was already bad in Corinth, the bad situation being people are dividing up into factions and aligning themselves with certain teachers. Paul said, I don't want any part of that. I don't want anybody following me. I don't want anybody calling themselves by my name. And And in that context, he said, I'm really glad that I didn't do a lot of baptizing while I was there, lest it would have made this situation worse than it even is already. All right, so when we add that to the consideration, I think we begin to understand why Paul is emphasizing my main mission was to preach the gospel. My main mission was not to do the physical baptizing. My main mission was to preach the gospel. Others can do the physical baptizing. My mission is to preach the gospel. He's not diminishing the necessity of baptism. He's saying, I'm glad I didn't baptize because of the potential that others could try to call themselves after my own name. Another way that we might put this is to answer or or to explain what Paul did not say. 
Now, you've looked at the text, you've looked at the context, and notice in that what Paul did not say. Paul did not say, he did not say, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should think that baptism was necessary for salvation. He didn't say that, right? He said, lest anyone should think that I baptized in my own name, or that I was trying to... He, what, what he did say, I didn't baptize, I'm glad I didn't baptize, I didn't want anybody to be thinking that I was developing my own sect, that people were following me as a party leader. Those were the reasons he didn't. He was glad he hadn't baptized. But he did not say, I'm glad that I didn't baptize any more of you than I did for fear that someone would get the wrong impression from me that baptism is essential for salvation. He didn't say that, right? Because we know that Paul taught that baptism was essential for salvation. All right. Let's look at this one more way. Uh, again, we're trying to we're trying to be prepared to answer an argument. We talk a lot about baptism, about the necessity of baptism, and there, there will be efforts made by some to try and prove us wrong, or not really to prove us wrong, to prove the scriptures wrong. The scriptures teach the necessity of baptism. Let's look at it this way. Again, here's the expression we're dealing with: Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. I think that the only reasonable conclusion that we can reach based upon the facts that we have set forth is that Paul was effectively saying this. Christ did not send me just to baptize, but also to preach the gospel and especially to preach the gospel. Now, those are, that, that's my paraphrase. I'm adding those words. Paul, Paul is saying... Christ didn't send me just for the purpose, not exclusively for the purpose of baptizing people. What Christ really sent me for was to preach the gospel. That was my special mission, to preach the gospel. What we have here is a construction that is found several places in the Scripture, and we've talked about it before, but this is a, a, a sort of a classic example of the not-but grammatical construction in the Scriptures. And the not-but construction doesn't preclude one, totally preclude one thing in favor of another. What it does is it emphasizes one thing over another. And so here, here you see that not-but construction. Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Whenever you see that, you need to remember that it's not totally eliminating the first thing, it's just emphasizing the second thing. The example I always like to use, and you might even write this in the margin of your Bible there at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. I think the one that so powerfully proves the nature of this grammatical construction is John 6, verse 27. In John 6, verse 27, Jesus said, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Now here's your not but construction again. Right? Jesus said, Labor not for the meat which perisheth. Stop right there. Was Jesus saying, Don't work at all for your physical food. Don't work. Don't work toward feeding yourself, providing for your family. Labor not for the meat which perishes. Don't work at all. Don't, don't work. Don't earn money. Don't support yourself. Don't make provision for your family. Labor not for the meat which perishes. Was he saying that? 
Well, if we make that, if we draw that conclusion, then we have Jesus contradicting plain, other plain passages of Scripture, uh, like 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 10 says, if a man won't work, neither should he eat, right? That can't be right. And so Jesus was not saying, don't work for your food at all. But what he was emphasizing is the second part is more important. The, not, the, the most important thing is not the meat that perisheth, but the meat that endureth unto everlasting life, right? So Jesus was, was not saying, no physical work at all, don't worry about working for your food. What he was saying is that should be far secondary, not nearly so important as laboring for the things that will endure to eternal life. You see that? So, in John chapter 6, verse 27, we see this not-but construction. In fact, if we were to paraphrase that verse, and please note, I'm labeling this as my own paraphrase of it by way of explanation. I believe I would say it this way. Jesus was teaching, do not labor just for the food which perishes, but also for the food which endures to everlasting life, and especially for the food that endures to everlasting life. Would that be a fair way to express the, the truth that Jesus was teaching in that passage? Again, it's that not-but construction. Not totally eliminating the first thing, but emphasizing the second as being the most important. All right. Now, I think we have the answer to this argument that's made from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. When, G- when Paul said, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel of Christ, he was saying, he wasn't diminishing the importance or necessity of baptism, but for him, the important assignment was to preach the gospel. He wasn't teaching that baptism is unimportant, unnecessary, but he was teaching that his important emphasis was on preaching the gospel personally. And we know, as we said, as a result of his preaching, lots of people, multitudes of people, were being baptized into Christ. There are some other examples, if you care to... We won't take time to look at them tonight, but if you care to write down, just for future reference, some, some other places where that not-but construction is found, I think that proves the same point you might mention, you might reference 1 Peter 3, verses 3 and 4, or you might also look even in the Old Testament to Exodus chapter 16 verses 2 and 8, where we see that same sort of construction, and I think we can understand its meaning very clearly. And so, just some quick thoughts about an argument that's often argued in denial of the necessity of baptism. Now, think about that for a minute. If if you're going to deny the necessity of baptism, you're putting yourself immediately in a real precarious situation, of course, because there are so many plain statements in the scriptures that teach that baptism is necessary, right? So if I'm gonna if I'm gonna reach out here and latch on to first Corinthians one seventeen and say that's my verse. Christ sent me not to baptize. I'm gonna that's my verse. I'm hanging on to that. If I'm gonna do that, then I'm I've actually put the scriptures at a contradiction with one another, right? I'm taking a contradictory position. One of the rules of Bible interpretation that we often discuss is you cannot place an understanding on one verse that puts it in obvious and clear contradiction to other plain Bible verses, right? And that's what you would be doing if you made that argument for, for, from 1 Corinthians 1.17. What we have to do instead is harmonize them, and I think we can. 
especially if we understand all the facts that were involved there at Corinth. There was this divisive party spirit that was existent in the church at Corinth. And Paul was saying, I'm glad I didn't baptize any more of you than I did because all that would have done is make the situation worse. Anybody can baptize. It doesn't matter who baptizes. There's no qualifications or, uh, for the baptizer. Anybody can baptize. I'm glad I didn't do any more of it lest I would have made the situation at Corinth worse. But that still does not deny the fact that even while they're at Corinth, he preached Christ, including the necessity of baptism, and lots of people in Corinth were baptized as a result of what they heard from him, that they needed to be baptized for the remission of sins. Thanks for your good attention to that quick study, and hope it's helpful. Hope we'll be ready to answer that if anyone confronts us with that argument. We're going to sing a song of invitation as we bring the lesson to a close, and in singing it, we'll be asking all who are here, have you been baptized into Christ? Have you been saved through the process of Christ's shed blood, which is accessed when we are baptized in water for the remission of sins? If you've never obeyed that gospel plan of salvation, including baptism for the remission of sins, we hope you'll do that without delay. We're ready to assist you. If you're a Christian already, but you need the prayers of saints, let us know while we stand and sing this song.